I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Jessica Hagee is an artist and writer best known for her insightful and hilarious webcomic Indexed, in which she draws charts and Venn diagrams connecting completely different ideas and getting us to think about them in different ways. Her latest book is The Art of War Visualized. It's the Sun Tzu classic reworked and with illustrations. So, Jessica, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. So, why The Art of War? Of all the books you could have chosen to uh, illustrate or to show in another way, why that one? Well, I I'd never read it, and I saw that we had three copies of it in our basement. <laughs> and it just felt like something I had to sort of get into my brain, like, I'm missing this chunk of the canon, you know? <laughs> and then I picked it up and I started reading it and I was like, this is this is stuff that I've heard everywhere, but here it is all in one place and it makes so much sense now. It makes sense in context. And it was one of those, like, when you're window shopping and you're sort of walking along and you're like, oh, I want that. I, yeah. want, I don't care what that costs. I want that. I want to go in that <laughs> store and get that thing right now. And I got that way with this book. Were you, like, reading the book and thinking to yourself, how could I illustrate this? Or was it like, I wonder if I could? It was sort of... Uh, the whole book is about 300 verses. So it's biblical in its sort of measure and tone. And I was like, these are nice little captions, and I just have to put the images on them. So I was like, I'm just going to start doing this and get it done. Do you, when you start a project like that, do you um, look through the book as you're going through and like just start at the beginning and here's the first couple passages and I wonder what I could do with that? Or is it, oh, here's a passage, I can do something with it, and you piecemeal it? And work it together until, oh, okay, I have a whole collection of stuff here, and now I can put it all together. Yeah, I read it through a a few times before I started drawing, so I knew, like, what topics not to repeat, I guess. And then I just barreled through it chapter by chapter. That's awesome. How long was that process? So there are 13 chapters in the book, and one of the chapters is just twice as long as all the other ones. So I divided that chapter into two, two sections and went at it. On a Tuesday and a Thursday, I would post a chapter, so I got it done in seven weeks first round. That's not bad. That's yeah. pretty impressive. I was, I was just <laughs> barreling through it. And I knew if I didn't give myself that sort of a deadline schedule, yeah. I would just let it sort of percolate and hang out in the background way too long. I've done that before, too, with a book where I'm like, I think it's going to have this many chapters. If I give myself a week to mm-hmm. do the research and the writing for each one, I think I can get it done. And then, like, halfway through it, the one just slogged on forever. And, of course, that's the one that was excised from the final <laughs> the edit anyway. I'm like, that's the one that took me the longest to do. Uh, do you read any other books now where you're like, okay, I want to tackle that one next. And this is a classic. We've all heard of it, I'm sure. But are yeah. you seeing those everywhere now? I am. And people have been asking me like, oh, what's, what's your next classic you're going to redo? And I was like, you know what? I've been looking at things. And one, the Bible would be really fun. But half of it is just like, this person beget this person for hundreds of pages. <laughs> and that could be a really cool poster of like, <laughs> here's 7,000 years of genealogy according to the Bible. Yeah. But I was like, nah, that could just drag on forever. And then I was reading Aesop's Fables, which are terrible. They're like dad jokes. Yeah. They're they're not they're, they're not lame. all that. Yeah, they're totally lame. It's like don't kick the dog. Like yeah, thank you. There's Aesop. your moral. Thanks, sir. Okay. Yeah. And it does. So that wasn't sticking. Somebody else said Shakespeare, and I was like, oh, I could mangle that so well. <laughs> but that has a story to it, like a narrative. And the Art of War was very piece by piece by piece. So it's I didn't... almost like blog posts, just little yeah. nuggets at a time. Yes, very much so. And I didn't have to sort of 
have one diagram that told one gigantic story. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking about how to make a book with one diagram that tells a massive story. Oh, wow. And so this would be, I mean, I've seen some of your pieces where you do like these A through J, and then you're connecting every letter to every other letter. It's a massive poster. Is that what you're talking about, where you can connect a whole bunch of ideas in one? Yeah, that's what I've actually got my outline done for. So I've got 15 points of how to conjure serendipity. Okay. And then putting those together and sort of like how to create your own luck with yeah. one one diagram telling that story. That's awesome. What, when I've seen those diagrams, I wonder, do you just, I, I think there was one you did that was like the uh, seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I think, was it right? The points were the seven sins and you were like sloth meets envy and that intersects and you get something. Yeah. Um, when you're doing that, it's just like, okay, I have the seven sins. They're here. What's the process of going from, okay, these are the two I need to connect, and it's going to lead to this, which is kind of the punchline and kind of the part right. that you're like, oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. What's the process for going from A to B there? It's really once I draw it out and I know what A and B are, I get to decide what A and B equal. Right. And sort of making all of those connections feel like a cohesive block of things is really the sort of massaging of the puzzle. Yeah, Have you ever struggled with a couple of those points and like, what would be the right thing to say for this connection? Yeah, sometimes I'll just have one and I'll have like 19 out of 20 pieces filled out. Uh And one piece I'll just have like lined out, scribbled, lined (laughs) out, scribbled, like I don't know what goes there. Yeah. And sometimes that sort of gets like stuck. I think I have like five or six of those on my desk. That are just waiting to be finished and that last puzzle piece needs to be put in. Uh, You wrote this other book that's called How to Be Interesting which it seems like it's almost the other end of the spectrum because, like, if you're talking about the art of war um, and then here's how to be pleasant and nice yeah, and <laughs> how to get people to like you. Well, the interesting part, too, like, I, I never really wrote it as, like, a brown-nosing book. It was, like, how to be interesting to yourself and yeah. how to, like, be comfortable with yourself and not bored just when you're alive. And so that came out as very optimistic and happy because that's the easiest way to, to live yourself. And it yeah. never, and then people read it and they're like, oh, well, there's no like ingratiation thing here. There's no like how to be nice to other people or impress other people. And it's not, that's because it doesn't have to be that way. And you don't, you can't impress everybody. Yeah. You have to be interesting to yourself. So what was the biggest point there in that book? What is the best thing we can do to be interesting to ourselves? I think it is the main point of how to be interesting is to go exploring. And that's physically, mentally reading things, seeing things, talking to different people, just getting out of your own skin. That's one of the things I think I've found that a lot of people can't do. They're, they're so much ingratiated in their bubble and they're afraid to leave it. And this is weird because you're talking about people who I know from my, and with atheists and stuff, um, they left like a religious bubble. They left a very conservative bubble and now they're atheists. And now, now they're afraid of hearing other perspective. It's like, I know that person's anti-gay or misogynistic, or whatever, and they can't possibly contribute to the conversation. And so it's easy to kind of demonize those other groups, the outsiders and stuff, and it's like, well, if you if you don't understand what they're saying, or if they're making a different argument and you're not hearing it, mm-hmm. you're not going to have this connection at all, and it's just, you have to understand it. you got to talk to people who disagree with you and figure that out. Yeah, bouncing from one bubble to another doesn't solve any problems. It's yeah. only when you're sort of out and open to hearing all sorts of different voices that you can actually make sense of things for yourself. Was there any overlap then between being interesting to yourself and then, yeah, I don't know, using <laughs> that for war? 
you know what? The whole art of war, like, I, I thought when I picked up the book that it would be, like, super angry, super macho. Like Yeah, that's what I would think of spikes. without reading it, right. It's phenomenally mindful and thoughtful, and it's all about avoiding terrible conflict. And if this must happen, do it quickly and save your people and don't put people in harm's way and don't, if you do conquer people, treat them really well because now they're yeah. your family. Like, things like that. <laughs> you're like, wow. This is nice. I like war. Yeah, you're like, oh. <laughs> And even, like, reading some history, war is not the military-industrial complex we think it is, like, back when Sun Tzu wrote this. It was all about diplomacy because war was extremely costly, and nobody wanted to do it, and people wanted to have peace accords and lasting agreements rather than, like, going, plundering, burning castles and things. Yeah. And, yeah, you would give up everything to do it, and now it's like, oh, it's those people fighting the war, so we don't even think about it as much anymore Yeah, either. it's totally separate from day-to-day living. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about your work is that it's just universal, that you cover big topics that you would think apply to everybody, like being interesting, exploring things, uh, working through difficult obstacles and stuff applies to everybody. So I wonder, I'm sure because you're on the internet, you will get complaints and criticism. Oh, of course. What are they complaining about? Oh, everything. If I don't get at least one rant email every day <laughs> about something I've drawn, I know I haven't done enough of a Rorschach. <laughs> what so, are they com- Like, I don't like that Venn diagram because what? They intersected and this or what? I didn't like the slope of this <laughs> graph. Yeah, actually, a lot. Really? <laughs> like, you know what this should be or you know what you should have done? I get oh. that every single day. Yeah. And I also sometimes I'll just put in, like, one word. I won't say anything good or bad about like kale, yeah. but I'll mention <laughs> kale and they'll be like, how dare you? Or like, you have no, you have no sensitivity for my gluten intolerance. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can't eat, I can mention things and people take them in whatever right. direction they want to. And that's part of the fun of what I do is that they are so very open-ended and yeah. people can put their own interpretation on them. <laughs> for better, for worse. Uh, what's your routine like for, for, putting together the cards mm-hmm. for your website and putting together these books. Like, what's a daily routine for you? So I always, I have to get out of the house first thing every morning or else I just, I get slothy and weird feeling. So I get out, I walk out a mile down to the coffee shop, get my coffee, maybe go down to the beach and look for, like, sea life and aquatic things that are making noise. And this is, like, Pacific Northwest area, right? Yes, I live in Seattle, and okay. I can sort of march down these steep stairs <laughs> to the beach. And then I have to march back up. So yeah, that's that sucks. my cost of doing business yeah. there. But once I sort of clear my head, get that out of the way, then I've already thought about everything I need to do. I come back. I get all my email done. I get all my tasks done. I do all the, like, basic housekeeping, yeah. like invoicing and ooh, work. Yeah. And then I sit and I think and I write things out. I draw things out. And I tackle whatever big project I've got going on. And usually I've got five or six open tabs of projects going on on a single day. What type of tabs are we talking? I mean, there is the website I know yeah. about because I read it. I know there are the book projects, mm-hmm. but those I'm guessing probably crop up like, okay, I have a lot to do in a span of a little bit of time, but then there's like the downtime. Yeah. So like, what are the other tasks you're working on? Do you have, is that your job? Yeah. Um, I do get a lot of client commissions. So um, I'll draw like a calendar or a newsletter piece, or I'll animate something for somebody who needs whatever explained and what I end up doing for a lot of different clients is taking concepts that they know how to talk about but they don't know how to make fun or interactive or quick what's an example of that so I had um like Deloitte needed something to talk about how their HR program was going to work with new hires and onboarding and things like that okay so I did a series of diagrams about (laughs) that 
Okay. um, Headline News just relaunched instead of, like, a CNN ticker. Now they're trying to be a little more, like, web central and a little younger in their target. So I did some one-minute animations for them about, like, the week in charts as their introductory open thing. Nice. You didn't start off doing this. So I assume this is after the website goes really popular uh, and people start noticing these comics and everything. Now you're starting to get these clients coming to you and saying, can you do like these charts for us and Mm -hmm. all that stuff? Um, I imagine that's relatively recent, at least in terms of your life. Like when did all that start happening? Yeah. So I started the, the blog indexed in 2006. And that was in August. And then in September, I, I got my first client. That was fast. I know. And that was, <laughs> so I was, I was drawing cartoons for the BBC. Like, nice. Okay. <laughs> and then I, my literary agent contacted me and goes, do you think this could be a book? And I'm like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> I've been doing like, it for a month. What is going on? <laughs> I love this. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And he's been just sort of guiding me with Good. all the publishing stuff ever since then. What were you doing before that? I was an advertising copywriter. So what? So you were writing like the print we would see in print ads. Yeah, I was writing print ads, web copy, brochures. Um, I'm going to hell for a lot of reasons. Yeah. If you if you want to go down that route, but one of them <laughs> is a subprime mortgage lending brochures uh. <laughs> in 2006. So you're the reason we're in economic uh, rubble. <laughs> I, I have to take a little bit of the blame. Like yeah. I knew this wasn't like super legit. They're like, we're targeting low income people with, no they tell equity. you that right I'm like, front. that's not nice. And they're like, but it's, it's accessible capital. And I'm like, is this fair? And yeah. And then I took an ethics class cause I was going to school at night and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> You're part of the machine. I know. <laughs> what were some of the better uh, copywriters you were, or the more, uh, ethical clients, I oh, guess. Well, I, aside from the, the banking stuff, I was writing for Victoria's Secret, which is yeah. a whole other, like, mental and ethical Wait, quandary. wait, they have, they have print? <laughs> like, what they, copy are you writing for their stuff? Um, everything you get in the mail that's like, free underwear, come on in and get your thing. Or, like, I was writing horoscopes for the pink brand. We'll get back to the horoscope. Yeah. Wait, go back to the... <laughs> you're writing, like, buy the underwear or something. Who, do yeah. they need a writer for that? Every company, every brand you can think of somewhere has a writer. Oh, my God. Now, we are legion and we are terrible people. Now I feel like, okay, I got to start looking through these Victoria's Secrets. Ads. No, but I'm reading it for the articles or something. <laughs> no, uh, mostly <laughs> it's just like make sure the colors are spelled correctly, come up with colors. <laughs> like, what should we name this thing? I don't know. It's like the Racerback shiny object. And then you just, you just, <laughs> and go riff on it and go yeah. with that. So you're writing horoscopes for, why do they need horoscopes for their underwear? It was in their email newsletter. <laughs> I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I also did... Uh, what, if you're Aries, then you really want our underwear. No, it's like, <laughs> be brave this month. Go a little crazy. Wear a thong. Like, <laughs> it, it really was that, awesome. that legitly weird. I used to date somebody who's legitimately writing horoscopes for, like, things you might... Magazines you might see yeah. somewhere. And it cracks me up because she takes it seriously. But I know that she's making it up to... Yeah. To put it in there, well, and there's got to be a tension there of some sorts. It's the forer effect, where if you read something and you think somebody somebody with authority at some point composed this, yeah. then you're going to give it a little bit of credence. And even if it's a fluffy thing, like in the back of a magazine, <clears throat> you're still sort of like, oh, yeah, that totally applies to me. I feel I'm in sure that. Victoria's Secret hired an astrologer. No, that was just <laughs> like, me making things up. Yeah. Um, when you're doing... So you said you're working like, okay, you take that break for a little bit, you get rid of the the basic housekeeping tasks and stuff, mm-hmm. and then you start to work. I imagine like if I were in that position 
there would be times where I'm just sitting there because I'm thinking and no inspiration is coming. Yeah. So what do you do when you're having writer's block of some sort? Do you just like, okay, I'll come back to it and hopefully something will come up Um, later? At at that point, I turn on either like a talk radio program because every now and then somebody will just have a beautiful sentence that I'm like, that is a beautiful sentence that I should illustrate. Hmm. So that's helpful. Or uh, just bust open the Yale Book of Quotes, which is a just beautiful book of like, a thousand pages of quotes and it might give you some ideas for stuff yeah and it just like a jumping off point of like even in the glossary like here are 20 different quotes on greed and that will give me something that's awesome do um i don't you can choose not to answer this um does your blog like actually make money rather than the books and stuff so that the blog is like oh i really do want to keep this going because no this is part of my income now versus it's just a hobby and it kind of leads me to these other clients yeah the blog itself i don't have ads on it i've tried that different ways and it just it looked crappier than it paid <laughs> yeah so i cut that out and the blog is actually actually whenever i write something oh something's sirens. happening outside yeah but whenever i write something anywhere it's it's sort of an advertisement for me yeah so the more i do and the more i put out there and the more people who see different things in different places the more leads i get right okay that makes a lot more sense so then you how uh how long is the queue of stuff you have like that you can use anytime are you writing these cards like a day before they go up on your site or do you have like 15 just waiting and then you can finagle which order they go in or I can use this one later or whatever. Yeah, sometimes I'll just, I'll just draw a stack of like 12 or 15 and I'll scan them in and I'll just have them loaded in, in like my more cards file. Yeah. And then I'll pick the one I want to talk about that day or something will happen in the news. I'm like, I have a headline that can now tie this thing I drew two weeks ago to this event today. And putting them together that way, the headline itself leads me to be able to be more topical yeah. than I actually am. Or if Well, because the cards are universal, too. So if there is something yeah. going on, you might be able to work it in so it sounds timely, even yeah. though... Or if something just like the Charlie Hebdo thing. Like, yeah. you have to draw something. You have to address topics like that immediately. How did you do that one? Uh, that one was... Uh, X is greater than Y, and X was pens, and Y was prejudice. Mm. Nice. Really simple, but yeah. you have as a anybody who's a cartoonist had to touch that that day. Right, and it's such a perfect uh, illustration of of that whole issue. Uh, would you ever? I mean, if you're starting with copywriting, what's your? Did you have like a writing background then? If you were going into there, was it advertising? Uh, I have a journalism degree okay. with a specialization in advertising. So then, if so it's, it's funny because the, all of the work you're doing now doesn't sound like a lot of writing. It's a lot of ideas and it's a lot of illustrations, yeah. but it's not like you're writing a novel or something. So is there a part of you that's like, I feel like I'm either cheating myself <laughs> by not doing that or I should put the journalism to use and do more writing. And maybe if I illustrate some of the stuff I'm saying, um, as opposed to like illustrating what someone else was saying or yeah. whatever. A couple, uh, a few years ago, actually, I started doing longer form articles. So more commentary with illustration. So it looked like someone was writing a, a column and then someone else was illustrating it. So it looked editorial. But you were doing all the parts But of it. I was just filling in the parts. And so that those, those get a lot of traction. And when I get a good topic that I like, that, those go a long way and those are really good for me. Are these ones that you pitch to the places that are going to publish them? Or do they come to you and say, like, you know, we want to do something about this topic. What do you have in mind? Yeah, it kind of depends on who the client is or what my platform is. And right now I can, I, what am I, what am I really doing right now? 
I'm trying to think of like what I'm working on. Yeah. I have a lot of uh, clients that are doing like this is internal stuff that no one will ever see. So the more of that I have, the more public stuff I have to do. And if my work is really public, I have less worry about creating more stuff. Like because if, if, people are going to see it if yeah. it's public. So the advertising, in a sense of yourself, right. is already getting already out there. there. So then I don't have to do so much like, here's a really thoughtful thing that I just made up to put out there as like more stuff for everybody to play with. What's like the ratio of public stuff you do versus these, oh, the business people will see yeah. it, but no one outside the company will? Probably about 50-50 right really? now. That's amazing that like half the stuff you would be working on, like no one will see. Yeah, it won't be public. Yeah. Or, or it'll be... Uh, internalized and taken through it'll be turned over to an art director so the content or the drawings that i make won't look like i did them oh so there's they'll another, take the idea and yeah. revise it and stuff so there's another layer of that which is sort of like <laughs> people be like oh my god they're ripping you off i'm like actually they paid me quite well to do that so don't worry right this is uh no it's weird i, I have the same argument against like paywalls and stuff like that or write something that's uh yeah, behind a paywall mm-hmm. or for someone else to use internally or for a newsletter that they're not putting online yeah. or something. It's like, eh, if given the choice between doing that and getting paid for it versus just putting it out myself where I know people are going to read it, that's this is the, the latter one's the way better path yeah, because a, people will share it and they can tell people about it. The best is when I write publicly and get paid for it. Yeah, so that's the ideal. That's, that's the best. And yeah. I have to say, too, the freedom I have to sort of think about all sorts of things at all different times, I'm really lucky to be able to do that. So some people can just come up and say, like, help me with this sale promotion thing we're doing. Make it sound smart. And it's <laughs> like, oh, that's a job. But then yeah. other people are like, can you just tell? Can you just put stuff on this site for us? And I'm like, that's really fun. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you have to, yeah, deal with a lot of that stuff. Um, do you still do any of the copywriting without the diagrams and illustrations? I have not taken on any new copywriting projects for in a very long time. That's awesome. How many people do you know who have been able to do that, where you take like a little hobby, a thing you enjoy doing, and you just turn that into your career? You know, I think a lot of people's careers are really peripatetic. I don't think people stick with one thing for life anymore. I think a lot of things are sort of like trees instead of just lines of bricks. And people will branch off and do something for a little while, or their job will take them in this direction, or their job will take them somewhere else. And that's true of even like accountants who start off doing tax accounting and end up doing like wills and things and people's stories are really interesting to me it is yeah uh, it's it's fun being uh, having more access now to like a digital world mm-hmm. where i've met more people who uh like they do podcasting for a living which shouldn't be a thing but it is and it it's is. kind of awesome that they can make it work and whether they're blogging or writing or anything and it's not like i i'm sure like we didn't go to school where these were options for us yeah. So I don't know. What did you think you would be doing with a journalism degree? I thought I would be copywriting for a while. I thought yeah. I would just like take the advertising path. How and long were you doing the copywriting before you started doing Indexed? Just, uh, let's see. So I graduated in 2000, or no, 1999. Yeah. And I was doing copywriting until around 2006 when I started Indexed, and I kept doing copywriting for a couple of years after that. Yeah. But the Indexed and the, the Indexed went up and the writing went down until the writing was just gone. Yeah. I feel like that was what was going on with my site, too, where it's like I spend so much time writing stuff, and I have to teach, and there is an obligation of certain time quality, but this was just going, the blog was going up to the point where I'm like, I can't do both. Yeah. Something's got to give, and what's weird is the stable thing is the one that has yes. to give, and that's we- and tr- uh, trying to explain that to anybody 
is the weirdest thing because I think I think they just assume I don't know if you get this too they assume I'm just like sitting at home doing nothing yeah and it's trying to explain no you don't understand I'm really working but my work is on the internet and it's it's hard I'm a very small little factory yeah exactly I'm turning out a lot of stuff for different places um you mentioned that you have a child how does that change your process in doing all this? Or are you doing now what you were doing before you had a, had a kid? Um, I'm still doing everything I was doing. And now I just do maybe a little bit more thinking like, you know what? Someday this kid is going to Google me and I don't want him to find, <laughs> don't want him to think like, oh God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing in the back of my brain. But uh, the, the only other thing is I don't really put that on, out online a lot because yeah. There is this sort of stigma to you work at home and you have a kid. Oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> and then it's like, no, no, I'm not like faking it. Like I have a real legit thing to do here. Right. Uh, I'm trying to figure that out myself right now. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to handle a child and doing stuff. The upside is I have a ton of flexibility. The downside is I work so many hours that I'm like, okay, I really won't have those hours mm-hmm. anymore. Does, uh, does having a baby change, does it give you more inspiration on the other stuff you do? Because it's such a life change yeah. that I'm sure it's just like, oh, there's a thing I never saw before. And like the books you were, like the Yale Book of Quotations, that didn't inspire me to do this. But watching this kid walk around and do stuff, yeah, ton of ideas. Kids are hilarious. And yeah. they, they are smarter than you think they are. And all of a sudden you're like, you should not be able to do that. That's spooky. <laughs> and the one thing about uh, working and time scheduling isn't that you have to find time to work. That's You can usually carve that out. It's that when the, that little person is in your space, there is no work. You're just with that person. And they, they don't understand, like, don't touch the scanner. I'm <laughs> scanning now. Like, don't hit the button. I know, I know you love that sound. Just don't touch it. I have to wonder, yeah, all these index cards you have lying around, I'm sure before they are scanned in and before they go, like, oh, my God, don't, don't tip that over. Don't spill that. Oh, I spill on everything. So, <laughs> I mean, I think I've ruined more, more drawings <laughs> okay. than he has. <laughs> That's great. Uh, where, uh, what, what do you read for inspiration just on a regular basis? Do you read other web comics? I read a lot of things on the internet, and I have to say, I really am sad that Google Reader is gone. Yeah. Because now I have to sort of sort a little bit more, and even if I have, like, RSS stuff, it doesn't come through as easily and as automatically. I so use I've, Feedly. Yes. It's I've been, been good for me. I've been adding back into that, yeah. but again, it's like recurating everything yeah. you have. And so I see a lot of things. People will email me stuff that they saw somewhere else, like, what about this? Would you play the movie? <laughs> and, I mean, the, my inbox is awesome. Like, you get everything from, like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. You should die. To, like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Have you ever thought of this? And I'm like, that's really cool. I will totally draw that for you. Is that cha- This is something that's definitely changed for me, where my the inbox provides more inspiration for stuff than me looking for stuff, which is how it started. Mm-hmm. And it's great to get the feedback because, you know, there's a special file for the, the, the nasty emails and stuff, but people legitimately bring up good ideas or they're like, Hey, there's an article that I, you probably haven't seen before. And it's like, Whoa, that didn't show up in any of the other things I use. That's great. I get a lot of people being like, have you read this scientific paper? And I'm like, no. And then I spend 20 minutes reading this and I'm like, I don't know if I can draw that, but I'm really glad I read that. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Whenever they introduce like a lecture that I might not have heard or yeah, Mm -hmm. this article that I, uh, and you start thinking about new stuff, and it's like, oh, that's fun. Now I'm going to talk about it with everyone I meet for the next, like, three days. I know, you're your own NPR station. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How do you separate your 
because uh, you mentioned this, like you do really separate your private life from the stuff you put out there in public. Do you have to do anything to make that happen? Because I imagine like I- even something like Facebook mm-hmm. or something, how do you separate the two? Do you just not talk about your private life when it comes to the stuff you put out there or even the when you're doing the comics and stuff, you can finagle it in a way that's like, hey, you don't know if it has any connection to me or not. Oh, yeah. Um, the only thing I really like Twitter, I'm just there. I'm I'm just my random self on Twitter. I don't talk about family a lot at all. Um, Facebook, I have a personal page that's just like actual people I know. Yeah. And there I have to post kid pictures because if you don't post enough kid pictures, like the relatives start to get like squirrely and like, <laughs> where's the child? But uh, my indexed Facebook page is jo- that's just me out in public, and that's yeah. that feels safe to me. Does is the, uh, do people are you completely different in those two worlds? Not exactly. I mean, there I cross post a lot, but for the most part, it's uh, where I go with my friends and actual kid stuff and like yeah. vacation pictures, like typical Facebook usage that isn't on my public page. Sure. When people see you, when you're like uh, at a Comic Con event or something of the nature, what are people saying to you when they come up to you? What do they know you for and yeah. what are they hoping to find? And like, I think the one thing people always say is, you're taller than I thought you'd be. <laughs> Which is always How nice. How short did they think you were going to be? I don't know. I think they, they think I might be like a very small elf because oh, that's nice. my little avatar yeah. thing. <laughs> but uh, other than that, they're just sort of curious. Like when you meet someone from the internet, like uh, meeting you in yeah. person is sort of surreal because it's like you're a real person. It's right. the first thing you said to me. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, like <laughs> internet people are real. And yeah. that, that sort of just connection with everybody, there's this look on your face of like, oh, you're real. This is cool. I remember meeting uh, Maggie Kreth Baker from Boing Boing at one point, And I'm just like, oh, you like... I, I just know your name, and I know real. nothing else about you, but yeah. I, I read so much of the stuff you put out there. Mm-hmm. It's so cool to finally, like, meet the person behind it. It's neat. And it feels sort of like you already know them yeah. pretty much. It's like, oh, yeah, we've been hanging out online <laughs> for a long time together, but now, like, we can actually have lunch. Like, Yeah. Cool. It, it's weird. I don't post a lot of personal stuff either, so when people see me, like, they they know things I've written, though, and mm-hmm. they'll rehash some of those things and it's it's interesting i'm like maybe it's a good thing i i don't talk about anything else um so those lives can be kept separate and it's it's nice i i have the safe space where uh, i know no one's gonna send me nasty emails or something well it's weird too because it's not like you're lying or hiding anything it's just sort of like I don't need the entire world to know when I go on vacation. Right. I, I like, I don't want like burglars to come. Well, this is like, I said, this is the first time I'm even mentioning the baby anywhere. Cause I know this isn't going to go online for a while. <laughs> so by the time it's yeah. out there, like, okay, it won't be a big deal. But even congratulations. That, though. Thanks. <laughs> but even that I'm like, no one outside, like my immediate family knows anything. Even like uh, people I normally interact with oh, online yeah. It's just haven't talked about it just because that's a separate part of my world and they don't have access to it necessarily. And I will share with you a fact that I have not put on the internet at all, which was when I was pregnant with my little guy, I was really, really sick for a really long time and I was not well. And keeping up this like constant internet presence, like I'm fine, I'm really (laughs) fine, was difficult. And having that sort of public side of, you look totally normal. You just keep posting stuff and replying to people and you look great. But then like being really just out of it. Is that was, is I'm sure that happens at more times than just when you're pregnant and you have all the hormones going crazy. But is it hard when you are going through times when you're like, okay, I don't want to do any of this right now. I have other stuff on my mind. 
but people expect you to put out a certain yeah. amount of content per day and all that's going on. Well, I can, I mean, I can schedule content like when right. I am on vacation, like no one knows like where I'm posting from. Right. And as long as that gets done, there's this sort of like, oh, this is fine. But there was one time I didn't post two days in a row and I had never done that before. And I got like a dozen emails like, are you okay? <laughs> where are you? What's wrong? And that was both creepy and really comforting <laughs> that people care that much. That's like, true. where are you? you that you're a part of their life. Days. That it's it's weird that you're not yeah, there. It's, it's like, oh, thanks, Internet friends. I'm I, not dead. I've had this. I, I worry about that sometimes because in my RSS feed and stuff, I have so many things in there that I'm like, you know what? If certain websites just didn't post for like months on end, I totally wouldn't notice because I feel like I just take in so yeah. much and nothing phases me anymore or anything. Where I'm like, you know what? If I stopped posting, I kind of, I don't for that reason. I'm worried. So yeah, when I'm on vacation, when I'm doing, if shit's going on, yeah, the content will still go out and you will have no idea that yeah. anything's happening. Um, but I'm like, you know what? If I didn't post for like a few days, would anyone notice? Yes. Like, somebody would definitely email you. It's weird. Like, are you okay? <laughs> um, do you, uh, how much of your personal life do you think is in the the output that you create? Uh, I think I have a very vivid talk to myself personal life. Like what I think about during the day is like hundreds of random little weird, silly things. And so then I interact with my friends and my family and all of that. And that's just a sliver of like what my internal monologue is. And the internal monolo- monologue, I have to say, is like 75% of my site. Okay. So it's it's not... These are things you think about anyway. Yeah. Or like, you know what? Like, this is a really crazy event that happened. And I interpret it like through some tangential storyline, like a totally weird way that you would never think is like about today's news. So I can I can sort of play with ideas yeah. and put that out there. And I don't have to go to the well of like, what's up with my family? Right. What, uh, what do your friends make? Uh, I'm sure they're happy for all the success and stuff you've had, but I wonder how do they think of like, the f- the, what you do for work. Cause I've gotten this from friends of mine that I'm still close to in the teaching profession and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they don't understand what I do. And so they will make snarky comments out of love, but they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, have fun waking up at like 12 o'clock today. I'm like, I, I really don't do that. Yeah. Or have fun doing whatever. Um, what, what is their response to kind of this not normal job that you have? I think I'm pretty People know that I go off and I draw my pictures and I do my work. And some people think it takes me all day long. And others are like, what do you do all day? So, it's, <laughs> again, it's sort of everybody's perception of what a freelance internet weirdo does. Yeah. And some people are like, oh, yeah, I get it. And some people are like, I would never want to do that. Do you have a lot of internet freelancer weirdo friends? Yes. Really? And what sort of things are they doing? They're doing comics they're putting on dance shows they're they're making puppets they're <laughs> doing fiber art they're just exploring the world and writing about it they're sailing around just to do it and like collect things and sell them on etsy like, <laughs> people do so many awesomely not typical jobs yeah it's I, I i don't know too many i didn't know too many people who did any of that stuff and i feel like i'm slowly meeting those people uh on and off and it's so interesting that um, like, it's just inspiring, really. This is the thing that I, the reason I was like, I think I want to quit my job and kind of do this full time. Mm-hmm. I went to this conference and uh, it was like a, a volunteer organization that I work with. And this guy was just saying he, I think he did like real estate or something. 
and he went off to India just to, uh, which, by the way, he's not even from. He's like, I'm going to go there and kind of do what Mother Teresa did in a sense, but he's not religious and it has nothing to do with that, but he just wanted to help people. And he totally, I I see his Facebook post, and he just ingrained, that's not the right word, he ingrains himself into that world, immerses himself into this world, and he's loving it. And, like, it has nothing to do with money. He clearly makes enough to live off of, mm-hmm. and he's totally cool with that, and it's, he's so happy. And you see the stuff he's doing, and it's clearly meaningful. And it's just like, you don't have a normal job. You just sort of quit your real job and did this other thing. That's kind of amazing. And yeah. not that I was unhappy with teaching or something, and I don't know if you felt that way about the copywriting. Like, yeah, no, it's a nice job. I like the job. But I, if I can do this, that's yeah. weird and awesome if I can make it work. I think, too, the thing that made me just happy to be on the Internet is that I can get more support and help and love from strangers in a typical day than I could ever get in an office. Because I think there's just so much more just effusive affection online for, like, things that make people happy or things that make them tick. or People like what I do, and that means a yeah. lot to me. No, we talked about the complaints you get and stuff. How mu- yeah. uh, But most of the stuff most you put out... Most of them are out, even sent with love. Like, <clears throat> I, I love right. your site and everything, but I have to say, like, why does the slope go like oh. this? Shouldn't <laughs> be? And you're just like, that's totally cool. Like, I meant to tell okay. you this. So when I was teaching this math class, like, one of the first things we do on the first days of class, <clears throat> we'd be talking about, like, uh, x-axis and y-axis and, like... Uh, two variable functions when it's dependent on both. Mm -hmm. And of course your comics would be part of that lecture. And so it'd be like, okay, let's do one with an algebra equation or something. Mm -hmm. And now let's look at one of the index comics and they loved them. And so one of the first things we do at the beginning of every year is they would draw their own versions of it. I want to see those. Oh my God. The ones that they would, that they would do. They weren't mathematically accurate because they weren't functions at some point, but like one uh, one is like, the x-axis is the length of time I watched Lord of the Rings and the y-axis was how much sense it makes and it's just a squiggly line (laughs) all over the place. And they're just really creative because it's all teenage stuff and it's all stuff they're going through. But when they start thinking like that, they're just having a blast with it and it's just fun to see that creativity and it's awesome. Um, So yeah, they're they're all fans, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, it's a format that's really playful that people can easily like, oh, I get that. And once they get it, they can do their own. So it's it's fun to see how people interpret stuff. Yeah. Uh, So where do you, is there any, uh, besides another book of whatever it is you're doing, are there any different projects you'd like to try? Because now that you know that you could try something different and like, maybe something doesn't work, but like if you stick a bunch of stuff on the wall or if you throw stuff on the wall, something's going to stick. Is there anything you'd like to try that you haven't done yet? Yeah. One of the things that is percolating up through just my inbox lately is art galleries are calling me and saying like, we'd like to have you in the show or can you put on an exhibition or can you help us put on an interactive piece of art in this space? So the fine art space, as opposed to the commercial art space, it's a totally different animal. And I am right now trying to figure out like, how do I position myself nicely in both of those places? Would these be similar to the comics you've been drawing, or are these original ones just for them? Yeah, these are a lot of it is just can you send us three months of drawings? Okay, and, and we can make an exhibit out of it yeah. of some sort. And it's just like wow, like That's this is neat. a thing. Okay, let's see. And There's got to like, be like artist artists who are like. That's not fair. I want one of like I want a gallery. <laughs> like I, it's crazy, and the, <laughs> but you look at it and it's 
there's the artist statement, there's the positioning, there's the background, there's the I am informed by X, Y, and Z yeah. and how this fits together. And, and it then, makes you think, which yeah. is the cool part. And if you if you look at enough of sort of a, like commercial art stuff, the the drawing, sketching, doodling format is a, is a niche into itself. So I actually have a space to fit. So yeah. that feels good to know. That's so neat. And just playing with that more is one of those like, hmm, I think I want to go there. <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, are there any questions that you're just like, uh, because of the nature of your work, are there things you ever want to talk about that you're just like, you know what, it's not going to work doing a drawing of it? Like, So I, that means I can't talk about it, really. Are there subjects that you want to tackle that you just haven't figured out how to do it? You know what? I think if I can take any subject down to its like essence of sentence, like if I can get it into one very concise sentence and it's not like the Gettysburg Address of an yeah. idea, if I can just sort of distill that complexity, I can draw it. But sometimes it's that distillation like that goes on in your brain before you're, you have to draw it out with a pen. It's the work. The actual drawing is really simple once you get the thought out. Yeah, the thought's the hard part. Yeah. That nugget of an idea. Um, and last question for you. How often are people just pitching you like, I drew this, like, here's an idea for you. Uh, take it and run with it or yeah. like pay me. I don't know what they do. But like, how often are they pitching you ideas? Um, about once a week. Really? I get, I get one, like, sometimes I'll get like a huge PowerPoint presentation with like <laughs> 10 different things. And I'll be like, that's really awesome. And you know who would really appreciate that? And sometimes if I can make a connection with somebody that's got an idea or got a project or got something, and they're like, I don't know what to do. And I can be like, call this guy or talk to this woman or you guys all need to meet together in Skype. And that feels really good when I can be like the internet matchmaker. You are, you are the connecting tool between your two things. Yeah. That's that, awesome. It feels good to do. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, so your book is called The Art of War Visualized, and that's out now. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Emmett. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.